Welcome to Between the Stitches, a baseball show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Let's go! is going on everybody around the beautiful planet earth welcome to between the stitches baseball only show part of the phenomenal fan media group my name is ryan we have a great fantastic exciting thrilling educational episode 36 of between the stitches we're going to be talking all things major league baseball and i think i have some observations as to how we could explain these teams that shouldn't be good that are good these teams that should be good that are not good, at least so far in the season. So today is May 1st, the first official day of not April, which means a couple of different things. Number one, it's going to be May. It's, it means a full month of Major League Baseball has come and gone, which I think for a lot of people gives us at least the concept or – It gives people involved in the sport justification for some of maybe the hot takes that have been dropped in the first couple of weeks. Oh, the Pirates are really good. Oh, everybody says, well, it's only been two weeks. It's only been three weeks. It's been a month. These teams have played 29 games, 28 games, somewhere in that realm. That's enough. In my, at least in my opinion, for judgment to be passed on these teams and whether or not they're going to find themselves competing for some postseason spots come October. So like we always like to do, we're going to go over the standings, American League East to West, or do I say it the other way? West to East, American League to National League. Whatever the case is, we're going to start with the American League East. The Tampa Bay Rays still sit in first place in the AL East. They still have the best record in baseball. They're still a very good team. Have they cooled off uh, a little bit? Yeah, sort of. I mean, they're 23-6. and six. So I don't know if you call that cooling off. Seems to me like overall, the 793 winning percentage that they're currently rocking with it's not sustainable, obviously. But is it? What's more intriguing to me is that their next matchup is three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who as of right right this second, and we'll get to the National League Central and the Pittsburgh Pirates here in a second. As of right now, the Pirates have the best team or have the best record in the National League. So the Rays take on the Pirates at home. Starting tomorrow, we'll see, right? We'll see. If the Rays just stomp the Pirates, maybe we sit back and say the Pirates aren't as good as we thought, and vice versa. Should be a good game. Potential World Series matchup, that is to be seen. But I think the bigger story in the American League East 
Yes, the Rays are really good. 23 and 6. Yes, the Baltimore Orioles are 19 and 9. Very good. Third place, the Blue Jays at 18 and 10. I think the main story is the fact that the Red Sox and Yankees are tied for last place in the American League East. If you would have told me before opening day that after the first month of the season on May 1st, the Red Sox and the Yankees would be tied for last in the AL East, I would have told you Red Sox makes sense. Yankees, what are you talking about? How are the Yankees not at least civ- mm, 29 games? How are the Yankees not at least 17 and 12 in 19 games? How are they not at least in second place? You could see some teams get hot. Some teams make a run, just like Tampa Bay did, 23-6 and six, for the first month. But if you looked me in the eye before opening day and said, who do you – actually, if you looked me in the eye on opening day and said, May 1st, just so you know, the Yankees are going to be tied for last place in the AL East, I would say, you are out of your marbles. I mean, really, if somebody came up to me, some random dude, random guy off the street, grabs my shoulder on opening day in March or April. When was opening day? So it was March. Some random dude bumps me, bumps into me on the street. Some random guy I've never seen before grabs my shoulder, spins me around on March 30th, opening day for Major League Baseball, and he says, May 1st, the Yankees will be tied for last place with a plus two run differential. I would say, get out of my face, and I would call the police because that guy is clearly insane. And here we are on May 1st. Yankees set up 15 and 14 with a plus two run differential. They are... Three and seven in their last 10, including a three-game losing streak. Should Yankee fans be panicking? Short answer, no. Long answer, if they don't start to clean up certain aspects of their game and guys that are hurt don't come back and produce at the level that they expect them to, then yes, I would be concerned. But for the time being, it's only been a month. The Yankees will be okay. I fully expect them to be competing for a postseason position come October. Now, if they sit at 15 and 14 and they project that out over the next three months and they're three games over 500 two months from now, I would say, what's going on with the Yanks? American League Central, just like we thought. Twins are 17 and 12. They're in first place. The Guardians are 13 and 15. They're in second place. The Tigers are 10 and 17, seven games under 500, and they're in third place. Woof. Kansas City, or I'm sorry, Chicago White Sox are in fourth at 8 and 21. Double woof. And Kansas City is 7 and 22 in last place. I wouldn't give that a triple woof only because everyone expected Kansas City to be good. But with Chicago, it's like, come on, guys. You're not that bad. You're not that bad. 
You're not 8 and 21 bad. You're not a 276 winning percentage type team. You're just not. But when the going gets tough, in the case of the White Sox, the tough have not got going. In fact, nobody's got going on that team. They rank in the bottom five in like every single statistical category on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Yikes. In the American League West, in first place is the Texas Rangers at 17 and 11. What interests me so far is that the, the Rangers are in first in the AL West at 17 and 11. The Astros are in second at 15 and 13. So Texas has a two-game lead on the Astros. Both teams have allowed the same number of runs as a pitching staff. Both teams have given up 106 runs on defense. On offense, the Rangers have scored 50 more runs than the Houston Astros. Both teams have played 28 games, but the Astros, or I should say, both teams, yeah, let's see, 17-11 is 28 games for the Rangers, yeah, 15-13 and 13 for the Astros. So, both teams have played 28 games, and the Rangers have scored 50 more runs than the Astros have in the same number of games. Bottom line, bottom line, the Rangers can swing it. They can absolutely swing it. The biggest concern for me coming out of the Texas organization, coming out of the American League West, I think the difference is, yes, the Rangers have a two-game lead in the American League West. Yes, they've scored 50 more runs than the Astros have in the same number of games. The bottom line is the Astros Players, organization, front office, manager, etc., have been there, have done that, have dealt with injuries, have overcome adversity, and have played good enough, consistent, long, you know, long term. They've produced at a high level, and they know how to continue to maintain that high level of play throughout the the duration of the major league season to find themselves in October. The Rangers, that team, and the players they have, they have not had that same level of experience. They have guys like Seager. Yeah, he played on the Dodgers teams. They have pretty good pitching. They got Bruce Bochy. But when you're relying on a guy like Jacob deGrom to be your ace and just simply put, the guy just can't stay healthy. To me, the Rangers and their style of play, it's not sustainable. And it's not going to be sustainable when guys are dropping left and right. And Jacob deGrom makes three starts, gets injured, and misses two. Makes three starts, misses two. Makes three starts, misses two. It's not going to work for the Rangers. You can score all you want, man. But ultimately, I think the, the Astros outlast the Rangers in the AL West. Uh, the Angels are in third place at 15 and 14. Seattle's 12 and 16. Oakland is 6 and 23. Woof. Moving out of the National League. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves are 18 and 9. They are in first place. The Mets are 15 and 12. They are in second place. The Marlins are 16 and 13. They're in third. The Phillies are 15 and 14. They're in fourth. And then the Nationals are 10 and 17, and they are in last. In the National League East, Phillies have picked it up quite a bit. 7 and 3 in their last 10. They're now above 500. 
The Marlins have been playing pretty consistent ball. The difference is between those two teams, Miami and Philadelphia, and the statistic I tend to rely on a lot of, a lot of times to indicate if a team's success is sustainable or not, or the level of play or the production in the win and loss column that they have is sustainable or not, is, is run differential. And in the case of the Marlins, yeah, they're three games over 500, but they have a negative 35 run differential. So what that tells me is they've kind of fluked into some wins. They won a ton of close games, and then the games they lose, they get blown out. And to me, that's not sustainable. Check back in in a month from now, and I wouldn't be shocked if they were four, five, six, eight games under 500. Just is what it is. They don't score enough, and their pitching is good, but it's, you know, Contra hasn't quite been the same guy as last year. They're, they're going to find themselves in fourth or fifth when, all, when everything's said and done. In the meantime, the Phillies are 15 and 14, and they have a minus four run differential. So that's a much more sustainable, you know, that's around even. Now that means the Phillies will, you know, unless they start to pick things up, or I guess if they stay hot, right, seven and three in their last 10, they could get up to a positive run differential and start to be a little bit more sustainable. But in the meantime, Miami, they're outperforming themselves. Their expected win loss is 11 and 18, and they're 16 and 13. They're playing five games record wise above what their expected win losses. So it'll catch up to them. In the National League Central, the Pittsburgh Pirates are in first place with a record of 20 and 9, the best record in the National League as of May 1st. Same story about the Yankees being in last in the AL East. If some guy grabbed me on opening day and said, the Pirates will be in first place in the NL Central on May 1st, and they'll have the best record in the National League, I would say, somebody call the police on this man because he is psychotic. And guess what? The Pirates are 20 and 9, they're in first place. They're playing great baseball. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10. I think the good indication will be this series they have against the Tampa Bay Rays. The best team in the American League. World Series preview? Ha ha ha, probably not, right? The Pirates will come back down to earth, but the Pirates are good. I think the difference is you have these other teams in the league that have better rosters and these guys are slightly underperforming or, or things aren't quite maybe breaking their way or they go through these cold streaks. Whereas the pirates have a, a roster of players that are all pretty okay. Above average. Some guys are pretty good. They've pitched the ball well. And the bottom line is baseball is a sport of averages and it's a sport of longevity and I think over the span of the 162-game season, the Pirates may break 500, uh, but I don't think they end up getting into the postseason. They started off hot. They played really good baseball, but the fact of the matter is they have a bunch of guys on their roster right now that are playing way above what they'll end up finishing with as far as averages go over the length of the full season. That doesn't mean they won't potentially finish above 500. Maybe... Late September, they're still in the playoff hunt. But I think ultimately things will level out and they will find themselves probably third or fourth in the NL Central. And that's okay. Uh, the Pirates are in first in the NL Central, like I said. The Brewers are in second at 18 and 10. The Cubs are 14 and 13, five games back. Cincinnati's 12 and 16, seven and a half back. The Cardinals 
are really, really struggling at 10 and 19, and they're 10 games back. We'll get to the Cardinals here in a second, but we'll, we'll lastly, we'll move on to the National League West. Dodgers and Diamondbacks are tied for first at 16 and 13, and the Padres are right behind them at 15 and 14. One game back, the San Francisco Giants are 11 and 16, and then rounding out the National League West in fifth place are the Rockies at 9 and 20. So, We've got postseason teams as of right now. Out of the American League, and the number one seed would be the Rays, and then it would be the Rangers, and then the Twins. The three wildcard teams would be Baltimore, Toronto, and Houston. I think of that full group of six, that's very likely that five of those could, could end up in the postseason. The only ones I may flip-flop or toss in or out is, like, I think Tampa will still get in the postseason. I think Minnesota will. I think Houston will. Uh, But the three teams, if there's three teams coming out of the American League East, I'm more inclined to go with Toronto, Tampa Bay, and the Yankees. Nothing against Baltimore. Again, it's just about sustainability and experience and the overall talent levels on these rosters. Uh, But the rest of the teams missing the playoffs in the American League or, you know, that group, I just would sub out Baltimore and put in the Yankees. And otherwise, I think that six, that group of six out of the American League with Tampa Bay, Texas, Minnesota, Houston, Toronto, Baltimore, very, very easily could be the six. In the National League, uh, making the postseason right now, of course, if the season ended today, would be the Pirates as the one seed, Atlanta, and then Dodgers and Diamondbacks. They're both tied for first in the NL West. So one of them would be the division winner. One of them would be the wild card. And then the two other wild card teams would be the Brewers and the Mets. So that's where we stand. And again, as we look at these standings here, I think one thing is abundantly clear about the 2023 major league baseball season so far after a month of games. And it's true about the players, and it's true about the teams. I think for whatever reason, with this new pitch clock and the pace of the game going by quicker, less time for players to gather their thoughts, to slow the game down, to give themselves a level playing field, if you will, and to allow for the game of baseball to unfold the way it has previously because of that, because the speed of the game has picked up immensely. Players don't have as much time to step out, take a deep breath, do all the things to slow the game down and ultimately allow for the better players and the better talent levels to eventually show themselves. That has been eliminated. And because of that, you see streaks, good and bad from both teams and players specifically lasting much longer. I think before the pitch clock, if you saw a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates rattling off three, four, five wins in a row, it would eventually cut off probably around that point. Three wins, four wins in a row. Then they would lose. Then they'd probably lose another one, you know, and then they'd come back down to earth. You look at a team like 
the St. Louis Cardinals, who a lot of people picked to win the National League Central this year. They lose, and then they lose again, and then they lose again, and they lose again. Things are compounding quicker and faster and more severely on top of each other because of the way the game has changed and the speed has picked up substantially. If you'd have told me in the first month of the season, or I guess, yeah, if you'd have told me after the first month the Cardinals would be 10 and 19, I'd say you're crazy. Paul Goldschmidt, Arenado, a bunch of young talent, veteran leadership, Wilson Contreras, no way. But when things go bad, both as a team and individually with certain players, they continue to go bad because players and teams and everybody else don't have the ability anymore to step out, to slow things down a little bit and allow for the better players and the better talent level to ultimately show themselves. I mean, you look at a guy like Juan Soto. Um, Or actually, let's even do this. Player hitting stats, right? So you look at it's it's very it's very very apparent that certain players and certain teams are benefiting more from the faster pace, the pitch clock, and the ability to not maybe think as much or not let not let guys to gather themselves or collect their thoughts right you look at a team like Arizona tied for first place in the NL West why I think mostly because they are a nightmare to deal with on the base paths they have like five dudes in their in their lineup that run all over the place stolen bases left and right it's tough for a team to get that under control when the game's just moving quick and quick and quick and quick a lot of other guys, too, as far as hitting goes, tend to overthink a little bit. When things slow down, when pitchers are taking longer in between pitches, man, they get in their own head. Is he going to throw this? Is he going to do that? I mean, look at, a guy like, uh, look at a guy like Matt Chapman, who's always been a pretty respectable hitter, right? Pretty good. Always solid. Had a couple years. Yeah, he popped 30 homers. But he's also had some stretches in his career where all of a sudden it's like he looks like he forgot how to hit. Next thing you know, we look at the league leaders in OPS after the first month. Matt Chapman's sitting there at 1,100 OPS. The best in baseball. His barrel percentage is like 75% of the swings he take. Uh, actually, let me find that. Let me see. Matt Chapman, baseball savant. After the first month of the season, Matt Chapman is in the 100th percentile in hard hit percentage. He's in the 100th percentile in barrel percentage. He's in the uh, 100th percentile in average exit velo. 99th percentile in expected batting average. He's got five homers. Four of them are to right center. This guy is all over the baseball. Why? Because the pitch clock is speeding up the game. And Matt Chapman is appears to be the guy that doesn't, like or doesn't want as much time in between pitches he just wants to go up there and swing his hand eye appears to be some of the best in baseball it's when the game was slower before the pitch clock more time between pitches and he's got to think a little bit more 
Is he going to throw this and this count? Is this guy going to do this? Pitchers are able to slow the game down a little bit, mess with timing, mess with rhythm. Chapman's just stepping onto the plate right now, getting in the box, 15 seconds between pitches. Great. Throw it. Boom. Over the plate. Barrel. Rocket. It's working out for him. Same thing uh, with a guy like Sean Murphy, catcher for the Braves. Traded over from the Oakland A's. This guy's stepping in the box right now. Just swinging away, letting it hit, ripping it. Aggressive approach. Cody Bellinger, same thing. When he dictates the speed and he, ticked, he dictates the tempo of an at-bat, this guy tears the cover off the ball. Sitting with a 975 OPS after the first month. On the flip side, look at a guy like Juan Soto. His the, the start to his season is not what he was looking for. He finished uh let's see how many games has he played this year? Soto's the type of guy who likes to take pitches, he likes to shuffle, he likes to step out of the box, he likes to slow the at-bat down, he likes to dictate the tempo. With the pitch clock, that is gone and done and out the window. Soto does not have any luxury, he doesn't have any control, he doesn't have any power in the at-bat to slow it down, to get the pitcher working on his time, and because of that, when Soto was struggling and continues to kind of struggle in the early parts of the season for the Padres, it just never stopped struggling. He'd roll over. He'd take. He'd roll over. He'd miss pitches. Swing and miss. Pop up. Roll over. There's no time for him to slow the at-bat down and remember, oh, yeah, I was working on taking the ball the other way in the cage today. Nope, doesn't matter. You swung and miss. You fouled that ball off. Great. Get back in the box. Let's do it again. Here comes the pitch. Foul it off again. Missed it. Oh, man, I just missed that pitch. I can't. I wish I would have taken it. All right, get in the box. Let's go. Oh, okay. Uh, and here comes the pitch again. Strike three. I mean, it's like that quick. It's 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 a quick developing at bat, and it's an, it's a type of baseball that hasn't and doesn't. It, it doesn't benefit or play to the strengths of some of these guys that played their entire career without the pitch clock as hitters. They like to slow the game down. They step out. They undo their, they undo their batting gloves. They take a deep breath. They call time many times as they want. And then with the new speed, the new pace of the game, the slumps that these guys have fallen into stay around longer, and the mistakes that these guys make are repeated over and over and over again because there's no time for them to step out, make an adjustment, take a deep breath, and it's compounding harder and harder and harder. So you're coming across on both sides. That I think to me that's what stands out the most so far in all these these statistical categories of baseball, right? You look at, um, let's see, like hits, the good hits. Or, yeah, let's go home runs. There's a lot of guys on these lists 
that it's like, how does he only have that many? Or how does he not have more? Right? That type of stuff. Um, yeah, some of these guys have been hurt. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, Salvador Perez. This guy's only got three homers for the first month. Jose Ramirez. He's only got three homers for the first month. Um, Alan Arenado finishes April with two home runs, 239, 600 OPS. Arenado? Really? Wilson Contreras goes over to the Cardinals, two homers in the whole month of April. Ian Happ on the Cubs, two homers whole month of April. Two homers? I think my main point to summarize is this. With the new speed of the games in Major League Baseball and the quicker at-bats, shorter time between pitches, what, what it has done to hitters and pitchers and teams as a whole it has exacerbated the trend that those players or those teams are experiencing. It's making teams that are underperforming continue to underperform, like the Cardinals, like the White Sox, like the Yankees. It compounds the slumps and the poor hitting. And when Teams are getting dominated by a pitcher. It compounds even worse and goes on and on and on. And on the flip side, it allows for these guys who are hot to continue to stay hot. There's less time for these guys to think about, oh, maybe I'll just get lucky or now it's like maybe this guy's a really good pitcher and he's going to bust me in. And There's no time now to think between pitches. It's get up there, let your hands work, react to the baseball, and hit it. And you see that with guys at the top of the league leaderboards in categories like OPS, guys who you would have never picked to be leading the league in OPS or in the tops in OPS after the first month of the season. Here's a good example. New style of play, games moving quicker, less time to react, less time to think as a hitter. Because of that, it allows for these guys to continue to stay hot consistently, not think as much, let their hand-eye coordination do the work. And you tell me, after the first month of the Major League season, here's your top five Major League Baseball leaders in OPS. Number one, Matt Chapman. Number two, Max Muncy. Okay, but what? Number three, Brandon Marsh. Number four, Luis Arise. And number five, Sean Murphy. I'm guessing out of that group, there's a combined maybe three all-star games, four all-star games. People know Matt Chapman is an incredibly talented defender and a pretty solid hitter. Not leading the league in OPS. Max Muncy has had his struggles 
in the last couple of years. Comes out this year and hits 11 home runs in the first month of the season. Brandon Marsh, a guy who has bounced around, is usually found towards the bottom of the order for teams like the Angels and now the Phillies. He's third in the league in OPS. Luis Arise, yeah, National League batting champion, but nobody had him leading, uh, you know, being top five in OPS. Sean Murphy, top five in OPS. The bottom line is because of the new style of play, it has allowed for players and teams to continue and sustain the level of success that they might be having, even though it might be them, you know, overachieving or just hot. It's sustained that level of hotness for teams like Pittsburgh, for teams like uh, the Rays. You speed up the game, you add in a clock, less time to think, less time to slow the game down. And because of that, previously, before the pitch clock in the past years, the teams with the best talent on the roster would inevitably come out on top because they'd be able to slow the game down. They'd be able to let their hands work, give themselves ample time to execute pitches at the highest level, to go through at bats at the highest level by dictating the pace and the speed of how the game unfolds and eventually end up dominating over the span of 162 game season. Teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Yankees, teams like the Astros, now, that pace dictating and slowing the game down and letting the talent outshow everything else and ultimately be the deciding factor, that is not as relevant anymore. And these teams that, yeah, maybe they're overperforming at the moment, maybe their level of success isn't sustainable, but because of the speed and pace of the game, these teams stay hot way longer than they probably would have previously. And these guys hitting stay hot way longer than they probably would have. And the, on the flip side, these teams that should be good, talent-wise, that are struggling, they struggle for way longer than what they have. We've already seen it. And these hitters who are good hitters, guys that we know are productive, who go through a little bit of a slump, it's, now it's not just a three-game slump. It's like five, six, eight, ten-game slumps where it's like, gosh, man, this guy just can't get it going. And he can't because he doesn't have any time to think or to slow the game down, or call time, or step out, or slowly walk up to the play. There's not all. It's all gone. If you're going well, you're going to continue to go well. And if you're going bad, man, you are going to go bad, and it's not going to stop. It's snowballed in both directions because of the new pace of play and the speed of the game. Nobody's saying the Rays aren't a good team, but to have them at 23 and six through the first 29 games, I mean, come on, that's crazy. Nobody's saying the Pirates don't have a lot of young talent. And maybe they find themselves competing for a playoff spot. But 20 and 9 for the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first 29 games? Give me a break. The Cardinals at 10 and 19 through the first month of the season? With Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt alone in the middle of that order they should be above 500. But because they struggle, because their lineup's not seeing the ball well, and they get shut out a couple times, lose a couple blowout games, just snowballs, man. And next thing you know, boom, they're 10 and 19, 10 games behind the Pittsburgh Pirates after the first month of the season. That is crazy. And that's the new style, and that's the new baseball that we need to get accustomed to in 2023. 
And that's all I got. That's the main storyline for me as this season has unfolded after the first month. That's the biggest takeaway for me. It's a new game. It's a new style. And if teams with really talented rosters want to bust out of the slumps, they got to do everything they can. They got to pull out all the stops. Every batter's got to call timeout. Every pitcher's got to use up all 20 or 15 seconds of the pitch clock. They got to change pitchers when their starter or a guy doesn't have it. They got to limit the damage. They got to execute situational hitting. They got to steal bases. They got to bunt. That's now how you have to get yourself out of a slump. Before, if you weren't hitting well, man, you felt like you were getting rushed or you were getting whatever, just step out and call time. Slowly walk up to the plate. Take your time. Batting gloves. Tap the dirt off your cleats. Get in the box with your hand up. All right. Now I'm ready. Nope. That's not a thing anymore. So you got to do the other stuff that's a part of the game, but that's not going to affect you as far as the pitch clock goes. Because otherwise, these problems and these slumps, they're going to just roll and not stop until somebody does something severe to step in and slow things down and let these guys really show how good they are. Because, I mean, on the flip side, these teams that play teams that are hot, they don't do that stuff. They don't slow the game down. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't, uh, they don't know what to do when a team like the Pirates are on fire or hitting well or doing whatever, right? And I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, when a guy's hitting well, like a guy like Matt Chapman, even if he does get out or does, like, it's less time for him to think about, oh, man, I got out. Like, maybe my, my hot streak's coming to an end. It's like, no, dude, you're back up again. You're hitting. You're up right now. Let's go. Boom. Barrel. So, anyways, that's all I got. Hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 36 of Between the Stitches. Really interesting uh, right now. I mean, as far as storylines go, you know, we didn't cover a ton of it because there isn't a ton of it. Uh, Otani's still really good. Um... Garrett Cole, still really good. Stats for pitching. Stunny Gray's having a great year. Garrett Cole's having a great year. Luis Castillo, Shohei Otani, Kershaw. You know, these are all guys I think that benefit from speeding the game up a little bit. They work quicker, and once they get things going, man, and they start shoving it, there is no slowing them down. Stunny Gray's having a great year. Garrett Cole, like I said, um, yeah, a lot of guys on there that are like pretty good, but you know, they're able to sustain it because things are working in their favor as far as pitching and speeding the game up and their tempo and their things like that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 36 between the stitches baseball only show part of the phenomenal fan media group. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. YouTube, all the above, none of the above. Any way you put it, we appreciate you guys tuning in. And uh, we'll be back with you guys either later this week or next week to discuss any any other developments, maybe any breaking news or anything like that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Between the Stitches. Follow Phenomenal Fan Media on social media for more. And subscribe on Patreon for exclusive content.